Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Movie Rats podcast. I'm your host, Carter Franklin, and joining me today, as always, is Jonathan Winchell. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing fine. I'm excited because I'm flying to New York City this weekend to the opening of the New York Film Festival, which I will talk about on the third episode. I do just want to make a few clarifications from the previous episode. I made two little minor mistakes. I mentioned that the Babes in Toyland film uh, that Disney made starred Keenan Wynn when it's actually his father, Edwin, that's in the film. And I'd just like to mention that Keenan Wynn is actually an actor that is in two of my top 10 films of all time. He's in Dr. Strangelove and Robert Altman's Nashville. The only other actor that I can think of off the top of my head that appears in two of my top 10 films is Peter Sellers. He's in Dr. Strangelove and being there. And the only other correction I wanted to make is that I said that uh, Spike Lee is verified. He's on Twitter. He's on Facebook verified his production company has a twitter page but he himself no longer has a twitter page so if we ever have any slip of the tongue or any corrections from previous episodes we can always mention them so that's those are the only two things i could think of so today's topic is alfred hitchcock and jonathan and i are going to count down our top five hitchcock movies we're going to do this episode is we each picked five films and we did have some overlap so we're going to actually go through and pick five separate films each and then at the end we'll reveal where we had some overlap so we wanted to be able to talk about 10 films but at the end we'll talk about which ones were actually on both of our very top lists all right so i'm going to get started here with my number five which is North by Northwest from 1959. Have you planned your vacation yet? You have a choice between sand and sunburn or mountain climbing and the Charlie horse. I find it all very enervating, but we should all have some kind of holiday. So my suggestion is a quiet little tour, say about 2,000 miles. I have just made a motion picture, North by Northwest, to show you some of these delights. And the ideal place to start our holiday fun trip is New York, where Cary Grant can go places and do things. You don't find a tasteful little murder on every guided tour, now do you? I think this might be the most mainstream of all Hitchcock movies. It doesn't have as much of like the psychological undertones that something like Vertigo or Psycho has. And uh, I think it pretty much invented the modern Bond movie. It's a spy mystery with the stylish and handsome leading man. The beautiful film fatale. It's got iconic locations where they have some really <laughs> interesting action scenes. And a charismatic villain with all-time performance from James Mason. And it's got one of my favorite Hitchcock scenes with, uh, from a comedy angle is when Cary Grant bids lower and lower at the action, at the, sorry, at the auction, and everybody's looking at him like he's losing his mind. And I think that actually tops that scene with the crop dusting plane going after Cary Grant because that one's just so overplayed by this point and everybody forgets about the other ones. 
So what do you think about North by Northwest, Jonathan? I think that's actually the film of his I've seen most recently. Um, a few years ago, a year and a half ago, I saw it in theaters. And it's one of his most just purely entertaining movies. It's a terrific film, but it's just on the level of entertainment. It's thrilling. It's funny. It's one of his funniest films. I mean, I wouldn't call, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a comedy, but it's just Cary Grant is being the most Cary Grant and amazing that, you know, he's he's doing unleashed in this one. Oh, yeah. And also you have a young Eva Marie Saint who's gorgeous and she's a great Hitchcock um, leading actress and uh, a young Martin Landau shows up as one of uh, James Mason's, uh, you know, hoods or assistants. And I think that it also just uses the color in a really amazing way. It's one of those late 50s films that just just comes off the screen. It's just gorgeous to look at. The score is amazing. And yeah, it's just one of those films. It's high on my list of films that it's a great work of art and it's immensely entertaining and watchable. It makes really good use of the widescreen also, which was sort of a new thing at that point. I really think of the scene where uh, Grant and Eve Marie Saint meet in like the Redwood Forest and it's got like all the trees paralleling them and they're in, like the wide edges of the frame and everything converges into the center. It's just one of those really interesting shots that Hitch gives you every once in a while. Right. I think it's one of those films that it's so entertaining that it didn't perhaps get the critical acclaim it deserved when it came out. I think it was a very popular film, but it's almost like it's a sin that it's so popular that, Oh, we can't take it serious as a, as a work of art, but it is an incredible achievement. It's amazing uh, to look at, especially on a big screen. It was really where I'd never seen it in a theater before. So it was really incredible seeing the widescreen imagery, the color, the score, all of it on the big screen really helps. Makes really good use of like motion, how it's got all those train shots. Oh yeah. And I love the um, opening uh, credit sequence with the, you know, Saul Bass, I think did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. With the, the, the outside the building with this, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great film. Totally well, ripped off by the opening uh, credits of Mad Men. Oh yeah. Well, um, I do you want me to go and do my uh, number five pick. Yeah, let's it, go ahead and, and get into that one. Well, I'm a big horror fan, and I don't know uh, if people respond to this film as I do, but I think The Birds is really one of his best films, and I genuinely think it's creepy and disturbing. I mean. I guess on a basic level, I do not like animals. I am not an animal person. And so the idea of birds just suddenly attacking humans. How do you do? My name is Alfred Hitchcock. And I would like to tell you about my forthcoming lecture. It is about the birds and their age-long relationship with man. It will be seen in theaters like this across the country. In my lecture, I hope to make you all aware of our good friends, the birds. Theirs is a noble history, and through it all, man has played a conspicuous part. That, not that I believe that necessarily will ever happen, but I am not an animal lover, so I am completely enveloped by that film and I don't think it's cheesy and silly I think it genuinely works and it's one of his I I mean it's not one of his greatest uh in the sense that it's you know it's one of his later career films 
but I still think it holds up. I mean, it's it's in this top five, but um, I, I really think that it's scary and and Tippi Hedren is really alluring as the lead. And I think there's some really good scares in it. And it's also just a masterful use of suspense. The scene where uh, she's sitting uh, on the park bench and she has the birds coming on to the jungle gym and they're singing, the children are singing the song. It's very ominous. And I just think it's a great uh, example of his craft where he elevated the material, you know, it could have been a schlocky, you know, creature feature, like a bird's attacking people, but he really elevated it to a really suspenseful uh, artistic film. That's one of the things that Hitch is like really great at. I think there's something he said about not wanting to adapt like a great novel into a great film, but you always take a bad novel and make a great film out of it. <laughs> so he like takes I'm... like the, uh, you know, the like sloppiest sort of material and just make something really like iconic and timeless out of something that could potentially be awful. Well, you know, it's based on a short story by Daphne du Maurier, who also did Rebecca mm-hmm. and Jamaica Inn. And well, not, this isn't a Hitchcock film, but don't look now. Um, oh, yeah. So that's so, a uh, creepy movie. Yeah, it's extremely different from the short story, uh, The Birds. But uh, it, yeah, the film, I think I think it holds up. And I do have a family friend. She has a great story that for some reason, when she was quite young, they showed it to the whole school. I mean, she was no maybe joke, 10 years old. They did that exactly old. at our school, too. Yeah, and she <laughs> said that she watched it in the gymnasium on a – they put up a screen. And she went home afterwards and was a little bit traumatized by the <laughs> film because she was quite young. And she asked her mother – you know, could this actually happen? Birds attacking people, and her mother kind of didn't give her a real concrete answer. <laughs> and for the next few nights, she slept with a baseball bat next to her bed. <laughs> What's that gonna do when the birds attack? <laughs> Whack them! She's gonna hit them. All right. So my number four is The Lady Vanishes from 1938. It's going back to Hitchcock's uh, period when he was still making movies in Britain. Those are sort of overshadowed by the American movies he made, especially the ones from the 50s that everybody likes calling his all-time classics. But for me, The Lady Vanishes is the funniest Hitchcock movie. It almost seems like a Wes Anderson movie, like uh, sort of like Grand Budapest Hotel type. And uh, Charters and Caldecott, the two English tourists who just want to know the score of their cricket games, I think are like the two funniest characters in any Hitchcock movie ever. Oh, the film's very witty, and it just it, it it has enough substance intention that you care what's happening, and there is actual uh, suspense as to how the story is going to unfold. But it's also a little bit of a lark, and mm-hmm. you just are you're along for the ride. And it's also you know most of the film is set on the train, and mm-hmm. it's just you know he sets up the situation, and he just. You know, he's the master at just letting it unfold. And he's, he, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredibly entertaining. And even though it's one of his older films, it still really plays today. And it's got some super corny moments, but that just sort of adds to the charm of it. It's like the final, uh, the shootout at the end is like one of the most ridiculous shootouts you'll ever see in a movie. It involves a nun, doesn't it? Yeah, There's it a nun does. there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that we, you know, we mentioned North by Northwest being funny. I mean, that film he always had a sly sense of humor and he was always being naughty and he was 
getting away with things uh, perhaps that the censors didn't notice. And yeah, I just think that film is a great, that's a great place to start with Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. If you want to watch one of his earlier films, you know, post, you know, you know, when you, before he came to America, it's a really good one to start with. It's mm -hmm. easily available or the 39 steps. One 39 of those steps two. is also really good. I don't think that one holds up quite as well as the lady vanishes just cause uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, though, it's a really short movie, uh, The 39 Steps, and the ending, I think, is really good, but it just gets so slow at some points, and I think The Lady Vanishes just cruises at such an awesome pace that it really holds up to that. Yeah, I think that, uh, well, my number four pick, um, I think it's, well, probably half of Hitchcock's films are you know, acclaimed and people remember them, but there's some that are perhaps not as well known. And I think Strangers on a Train is mm -hmm. one of his absolute best films. And I don't know if people know it as well as some of his other films. Two fellows meet, like you and I. No connection between them whatsoever. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Fantastic, isn't it? You didn't know when Bruno proposed this pact that he was serious, dead serious. You had made the mistake of speaking to a stranger on a train. And now, wherever you go, whatever you do, you find yourself dominated by his evil presence. And you, Bruno, to you, killing was the answer. Murder without clue, without motive. The perfect crime. Too perfect. But... That one is a – it's just a great premise. It's two people mm -hmm. meet on a train. They don't know each other. They've never met. They have no idea who they are. Uh, each other are. And they start talking and they both realize that they have people in their life that they hate. And they decide they're going to swap murders. They're going to murder the other person uh, and they're going to not have any alibi. No one will have any idea that, you know, why would they kill this person? Cause they don't know them, but they decide to swap murders. This has been taken this premise and done as a comedy with the Billy Crystal film, throw mama from the train, mm -hmm. which is also uh, fun with Danny DeVito, but strangers on a train is just, it's suspenseful. It's a, I mean, just the premise alone just makes it worth watching, but he does it with such skill and there's the amazing uh, merry-go-round scene at the end mm -hmm. where it goes out of control and the man is crawling under the careening uh, merry-go-round and you're on the edge of your seat wondering if he's going to make it before it flies off but um and his daughter patricia hitchcock who's still alive she's 90 she uh shows up and <clears throat> she shows up in the film and uh, yeah, it's it's it has so many great set pieces, and I think that uh, it's based on a short story by Patricia Highsmith or a novel. And uh, yeah, I, it's I think it's one of his best films. It's kind of in that era where he had uh, some really popular films, uh, and then lesser ones like I Confess and The Parody in Case that are not as well known today. Mm -hmm. But Strangers on a Train, I think, is really one of his best films he ever did. Mm -hmm. And the P Patricia Highsmith angle sort of adds something to it. Like she uh, wrote like the talented Mr. Ripley, and uh, didn't she also write Carol? I might be mistaken. Yes. With that. Yeah. So I feel like yes. if that was something that was made today, they really would have emphasized the sort of homosexual aspect of it, which is really downplayed in the the version that got made. But I mean, he still sneaks in some interesting stuff about that, especially with the Bruno character. And he does that too in Rope. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 
Rogue's some... one that people like crap on a lot, but I really like it. I actually put it in my top ten that I'm going to reveal at the end of this. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That's I mean, he, I think he even thought of rope as being an experiment that didn't work, but I think it holds up for the I most. I think it really part. holds up, and it's got some of my favorite performances in it. Right, it's kind of an odd, you know, role for Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. but but what's your number three? My number three is the man who knew too much from 1956. It's actually a remake of a movie he made in Britain with uh, oh man, what's the actor's name? The guy who's in M. Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre, that's it, right. Who's like a perfect sort of Hitchcock actor. But I just like the 1956 version a lot more because, I don't know, I think it might be my favorite of Jimmy Stewart's performances in a Hitchcock movie because he, like, plays the American abroad so perfectly. Like, he's just guffawing and stuff like that, and he's always clueless about how to act in all these foreign places. And Doris Day makes for sort of a weird Hitchcock, like, leading lady, but she really works in that role alongside him, and it really contributes to the comedy of the movie. Yeah, this is one I kind of have to disagree with you. I don't think this is one of Hitchcock's best films. I think it's too long and it's a little bit clunky. And I definitely think the original version is better. And this is one from the period that it has a lot of great set pieces and the acting's, you know, Jimmy Stewart's always great. Mm-hmm. But I think that it is, it's not top tier. It's, it's definitely not in my top 10. The one reason I think it stands out more than almost any other Hitchcock movie, it's got my favorite set piece for most of them, is the sequence in the Royal Albert Hall with the political assassination that takes place almost entirely with no dialogue. And the music just carries along the scene so perfectly. And he edits it in such an amazing way that goes along with the music that it's like, I don't know, it transfixes me every time I watch it. And like the shock at the end, like legitimately, like shocks me every time I see it. Yeah, the set piece is great. I just think that as a whole, the film is not I mean, it's it's a solid film, but to me it's it's not one of his absolute best. I I actually do think the original is better and it's you know, almost half as short. It's like seventy something minutes and the hitch uh, the one from the fifties is right at about two hours long. <laughs> That's just your movie hipster talking. This one is way better. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I do think that there are plenty of remakes that are better than the uh, original, but this is one where the original, I think, still still is the best one. But um, uh, my third one is what some people, many people consider to be maybe the best film ever made, uh, Vertigo. Um, it's a film that I think a lot of people come back to over and over again, and they have different feelings about it because it's a film that each time you see it, you take it in a little differently. It's, it's, I mean, it's so gorgeous to look at the color. It's just so incredible to look at and the narrative is twisty and you don't really know exactly where it's going even when you've seen the film before it's one of those films that you almost forget you have amnesia when you're watching it i i almost always forget exactly where the film goes and i just get so sucked into it that i feel like jimmy stewart's character and I think it's. I think that's his best performance, maybe ever. If, but definitely in a Hitchcock film, and it's. It's just. It's. I saw the documentary Hitchcock Truffaut about the interview that mm-hmm. Truffaut did with Hitchcock, and I know that. Um, you know, some of the directors were just saying that that film is just. It's just the perfect example of what 
the power of cinema is. There's just something about watching people and the idea of transforming uh, someone into your ideal uh, beauty. And there's so many different themes that can be, you know, taken away from the film. But I think it's just a film that, like I said, every time I see it, I feel like I'm rewatching it or I'm seeing it with different eyes. It just, it's, it's so mysterious and beautiful and haunting. And I, I think it's an incredible, uh, f- I mean, I'm not saying it's my, I don't think it's the best film ever made, but I think it's one of Hitch's best. And it, it just is one that every time I see it, I get something new from it. See, Jimmy Stewart in that movie almost like ruins the whole movie for me. Cause he just seems so much older than everybody else. He's supposed to be the same age as that. I just like totally takes me out of it. Well, I mean, I I don't think I I think there's something about him playing, you know, he's like such a wholesome, you know, American guy. And the fact that he's in this film, there's something really interesting about that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just I there, like I said, every time I see it, it's it's like I see the characters in a different way and I see, you know, their motivations and yeah, it's, it's, and it's a great, uh, one of the great San Francisco films. It really you know. is. And it makes really good use of just like how, I don't know, just how like mysterious that city is with like how freaking foggy it always is and how the, like the hills always make you like you can't see across the next corner. So it really makes use of like the really weird elements of San Francisco. I think that it's a film we were talking last week about certain films you really need to see in a theater. Mm-hmm. That one for the color, if you ever get a chance to see it uh, from a film print, it's truly stunning. It's, I mean, I had a film professor say that she cried when she saw it once in theaters because oh, wow. it's just, so, it's just so beautiful to look at. It's, it's, you know, color has never looked that good in a film. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I love it too, but I'm just going to pick it apart for purposes of playing devil's advocate. But I really think it loses momentum after uh, the uh, wife is murdered in the, like, the midpoint of it. Like the second half of it just doesn't get me the same as the first half. And it's like more like a distillation of the sort of themes that Hitchcock really likes, like transforming a person into like how you want to see them and just being obsessed with like one particular thing. But just like as like a movie watching experience, I think it really loses a lot of momentum. Well, what's your next pick? <laughs> My next pick is To Catch a Thief from 1955, which is sort of lost in the shuffle of, like, the Hitchcock movies of the 50s, like when he goes on such a great run with Rear Window and Vertigo and Psycho and uh, North by Northwest. To Catch a Thief is sort of lost in the shuffle. And I wouldn't say it's one of his best movies in terms of, like, artistic merit or anything like that, but it might be my favorite Hitchcock movie just to watch from an entertainment perspective. And uh, it's got just – it hits so many beats of Hitchcock movies that I just really love, like taking place in a glamorous foreign location. This one's set in the French Riviera and absolutely perfectly like captures the beauty of it. And it's uh, the last movie Hitch made with Grace Kelly. And uh, I think this is her best role. In Rear Window, she's really good, but she sort of just plays like the overbearing girlfriend to uh, to Jimmy Stewart. And this one, she's like absolutely perfectly cast as a spoiled heiress who like thinks she's better than everybody else. And she just, like, does that role so good. And it's, I mean, North by Northwest is definitely the most, like, memorable Cary Grant performance in a Hitchcock movie. But this one is, like, just beneath it where he plays, like, a cat burglar who's retired and just lives in, like, a really fancy place on the French Riviera. And it's sort of like, like, you'd say North by Northwest is the perfect Cary Grant role in a Hitchcock movie, but this one is, like, very close to that. 
And it's got one of my absolute favorite Hitchcock scenes where uh, Grace Kelly is teasing uh, Cary Grant with some diamonds she wants him to steal. And these fireworks are popping off in the background. And, like, the camera's just zooming around with this, like, really eerie green color. It's just one of those, like, uh, one of those scenes that really shows Hitchcock is one of the visual filmmaker that really hardly anybody can match up to. Yeah, this is one that I think is incredibly entertaining, but I don't really think of it as being one of his greatest achievements. I think of it being kind of a just, oh, he's going to do a, you know, cat burglar film with movie stars. It's set in a beautiful location. I just think it's, you know, he does it as good as you possibly could, but it's oh, yeah. not one of his most uh, stunning achievements. It's just a good time at the movies. Oh yeah. It's totally a popcorn movie and all the stuff that like Hitchcock scholars are interested in, like, you know, like the things that he's like afraid of and his like uh, obsession with like voyeurism and stuff like that. None of that really shows up into catch a thief, but I just love it just cause it's one of those ones I can pop in at any time and I'm going to watch the whole thing and just be riveted by it. Well, uh, my next pick, my number two, is a film that if I get disillusioned with modern cinema and I feel like it's all kids' films and comic book movies and just the cinema's been dumbed down, I like to go back and watch Notorious. That's my second uh, film on my list. I just think it's so mature and sexy and... It's just, it's Cary Grant again. Uh, It's um, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains, and it's just a really adult, smart, I mean, it just just has everything. It has the great Hitchcock camera work and the set pieces. You have the amazing shot of the camera going all the way down to a Mm -hmm. close-up of... uh, Bergman holding the key in her hand. You have uh, the moment where you realize that the coffee cup is uh, has poison in it. It's a great example of pure cinema. Mm-hmm. And I just think that movie stars have never been more sexy in a film without having nudity or you know actual sex in a film. It's just a great example of you know you just look at their faces on screen. And they just, you're just, your heart is just melting because it's so beautiful. And the black and white is when you watch a Blu-ray or a film print of it, it's just the, it's just the grain stock. It's just, it's just a great old movie. I mean, I like it even more than Casablanca. I know that's blasphemy to some people, but um, I oh, think I it's. Too. I mean, I love Casablanca, but I do think that Notorious is just. It's 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 a great adult film, and there's not enough of those types anymore. And one of the like great depictions of someone being hungover, where Ingrid Bergman wakes up and Cary Grant is upside down, and he slowly flips over. Yeah, I also like the um, scene in the cellar where they're you know trying to find the you know you have the if, if you have um, them looking through the you know they smash the bottle. All that's very you know that's just great use of uh, suspense. Yeah, it's it's one of my it's it's a great uh, Hitchcock film, and I think it's uh, you know it's not it's flashy. It's not one of his flashiest films. It's in black and white, and it doesn't have you know this. Uh, you know, it's a very contained film in some ways. A lot of it takes place in the house, but I think it's one of his most mature films. I really love it. And it's one that also feels like a uh, like a proto Bond sort of movie, with like Cary Grant as the secret agent, Ingrid Bergman as the femme fatale. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. That that's a good. I always point to that as a good example of just movie star allure. Just the, there's that scene where they kiss each other for so long in the single <laughs> take. It's because they. I think they had some stupid rule that you couldn't kiss someone for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So they just kept unlocking lips and then kissing again and unlocking lips and kissing again. So they could get away with it. But yeah, it's 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 a. It's one of my favorite of all films, but it's definitely one of my favorite Hitchcock films. And Claude Rains is an all-time Hitchcock villain. Like he's oh, yeah. made to be in a Hitchcock movie. It's just like how yeah. wry he is, and his British accent just works perfect, even though he's supposed to be a German. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, if people haven't seen that film, I think that it's from. It's definitely from that era. It's one of his most known films. But I think that if people have seen Hitchcock, they're usually ones from the fifties or mm-hmm. you know early sixties. But if you haven't seen that one from the forties, you really need to see Notorious. Mm-hmm. So my number one all-time greatest Alfred Hitchcock movie is Rear Window from 1954. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. Um, to me, this is the perfect Hitchcock movie. I think people, you know, will say Vertigo captures the voyeurism and his obsession better than anything else. But I think Rear Window, just the voyeurism aspect with the man sitting on his uh, immobile in his room and just watching every- the world around him and photographing all of his neighbors just captures that theme of voyeurism so perfectly. And Grace Kelly is just incredible in this movie. Obviously, she's much. I think she's much flatter than she is in To Catch a Thief. But if you're gonna have just like a trophy girlfriend who doesn't say much, Grace Kelly's just about as good as you can get. And it's a really good murder mystery at its core. And most of my favorite movies by Hitchcock are murder mysteries. And I just I don't know. I love the concept of every individual apartment sort of being its own TV show, and how every apartment has its own character, and everybody's living their own lives. And they all have their own compelling uh, storylines and stuff like that. Like you have the newlyweds who like shut their blinds as soon as they get there. And then the Miss Lonely Hearts character who like keeps you know, screwing up at the men ends of trying to kill herself. Like that's one of those storylines you sort of forget until you watch it again. And you're like, holy crap, this is actually pretty intense. And then the neighbors who sleep on the fire escape I just think is absolutely hilarious. And then the lady when her dog died, so she's just like, all of you just sat there and watched and did nothing. I just, it just cracks me up every time I see it. Yeah, it's a great premise for a film. A lot of my favorite Hitchcock films, they just start out with a great premise, mm-hmm. but he just he just does it. I mean, I, I, I still think the scene where Grace Kelly is in the apartment across the oh, yeah. you know street and Raymond Burr comes back and every time you know it's going to happen if uh-huh. you've seen the film, but it's still just you just you're so you're like, get out, get out, get out. It's it's uh, it, it's amazing how a film that takes place entirely within apartments mm-hmm. and just watching people and often you can't hear what's going on across mm-hmm. the uh, across the street unless there on the phone it still has so much tension and it's it's what cinema is you're watching people and it's it's voyeuristic and yeah it's and there's something just really compelling about the story because the whole time you don't know if you've never seen the film before you don't know if he's guilty or not and Mm -hmm. it's just you know it's like 
you always think in life when you watch something, when you look out at the world, you have these ideas about what's going on and Mm -hmm. you make these little narratives, these little stories, and you think, hmm, what's going on in that person's life? Mm -hmm. And the film just really captures that in a brilliant way. Mm -hmm. And despite being shot entirely on a lot in Los Angeles, it really feels like a New York movie. And I think it's amazing how well he captured that. Yeah, it's like a giant set because they had to be able to have all the different apartments stacked on top of each other. Uh-huh. So it was like one of the biggest sets at the time, even though it's like one lo- – well, I mean it's like one giant location yeah. with the multiple apartments. But yeah, so uh, my number one pick is – this was, you know, I could kind of switch some of the other ones around and I could have, you know, two and three switch. But without question, my number one Hitchcock film is Psycho from 1960. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway. And as you see, perfectly harmless looking. When in fact, it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Um, I do love horror films. And some people argue it's not really a horror film. It's a thriller. It's a mystery. I think it's pretty scary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's one of my five favorite horror films ever, and I think that it's, I mean, there's, I think without question, the horror genre, but just film in general, it's one of those landmark films where there are post-psycho films and there's pre-psycho films, and it's, you know, to, you know, he had the gall to have a leading lady in the film, you know, brutally murdered, and uh, a shower 45 minutes into the film I mean I do, I, the, even people that haven't seen the film often know the shower scene it's mm-hmm. so iconic but if you actually think about it it's really shocking that he just brutally murders the lead actress 45 minutes into the film and it just completely changes everything you don't have a leading lady anymore and you are suddenly in the uh, perspective of Norman Bates and you have to think about wait where is the film going to go now mm-hmm. and it just it's a, just a master manipulation of the audience that I mean when people always point to this great moment where he pushes her car with her body in the mm-hmm. trunk he pushes the car into the swamp and it's slowly going down and it stops and as the audience you go oh, he's going to get caught oh no but then you're like wait we do want him to get caught he's he's a murderer what, you know why do we well, you know but it just he he manipulates the audience and your sympathies and i think the i've actually read the original novel which came out just the year before mm-hmm. and and hitchcock famously bought up as many copies of the novel across the entire country because he didn't want people to know the ending of the film but uh one of the most brilliant uh, de- decisions he made was changing the character Norman Bates in the original novel. He's uh, older, he's middle-aged, f- uh, overweight, balding man with glasses, and he got Anthony Perkins, and he's really charming, he's attractive, and he's, you know, he has this kind of next boy-next-door quality, even though he's kind of odd, but you find him really charming, and when he talks to Janet Lee, you feel sympathy for him, mm-hmm. and, then the, and then Hitchcock just completely completely you know throws that out the window and you see uh well you don't realize i mean spoiler alert you know you you don't realize the first time you see it that he's the murderer but 
yeah, I think it's just and the film's really funny, especially if you've seen it. Uh, you know, if you know where it's going to go, if you know the endings, lines like you know, mothers, you know, you know, your best friend. You know, I just yeah, and I think that Janet Lee is terrific in it, even though she isn't in it for you know only she's only in it forty five minutes, and it's one of the greatest Oscar snubs in history that Anthony Perkins wasn't nominated. I think this is the best performance anybody's ever had in a Hitchcock movie is Anthony Perkins in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just – I mean, every moment in the film, you're just glued to him. And even though he's you know, a horrible character, you feel sympathy for him. I mean, it's uh, – and I, I also think that uh, – you know, I, I would argue that the shower scene is the greatest uh, murder scene in film history. And even though you know I've analyzed it and seen it many, many, many times, it's so beautiful. I mean, even though it's a brutal murder, it's so beautifully put together. And it's – and I also love the scene where Arbogast uh, falls down the stairs – People know the shower scene, but the one that sometimes shocks people more because it kind of happens suddenly. He's walking up the stairs to visit mother, and then he gets to the top of the stairs. And you think he's probably going to go into the room, but she suddenly comes out and slashes his face. And there's almost this surreal quality where he's stumbling backwards down the stairs. And, you know, you couldn't really fall all the way down the stairs like that probably, but it just has this you know really it's it's almost like a movie trick just this surreal quality to it yeah i psycho is one of the other films i've seen in a movie theater when i was visiting new york once i went to see it at film forum uh if it wasn't on actual halloween it was uh right around then but yeah that's just a it, and it's a great one to watch with an audience yeah it's it's i think it's i think it's def it's my definite uh favorite hitchcock film I think it's definitely the best score in a Hitchcock movie also. Oh, yeah. I've never – now, have you seen Gus Van Sant's Psycho? I bet remake? for some reason is on TV all the time. So I don't know if I've seen the whole thing, but I've seen parts of it like uh, every once in a while. It's just so weird to see. Well, the I was listening to an interview with Van Sant, and he was talking about why he wanted to make the film, and he had done Goodwill Hunting, and this Universal was like – would you, you know, we, we want you to do whatever you want to. And they suggested we have all this back catalog of films that you could remake or do a new version of. And he said, what about remaking Psycho, but really remaking it, like do it exactly the same. Every shot, every camera movement, do it exactly the same. And they let him do it. And it has a great cast. I mean, uh, I don't think Vince Vaughn is a problem in the film. He plays Norman Bates. It has Anne Heche, Julianne Moore. Viggo Mortensen, William H. Macy, and but it's just it does. There's no point to it. It's the most pointless film ever made. And I did uh, think it was funny when John Waters said that uh, he should have kept remaking the film, do a gay psycho, a Latino psycho. He should just kept remaking it with different people. But um, I remember Roger Ebert's review of the film where he said it's like you have a really talented pianist that plays uh, uh, a piece and you know does it just really beautifully but then the master pianist comes up to him afterwards and says that you hit every note but you didn't play the music mm-hmm. you know it's, it's that you know even if you get every shot the same and you have it you know just it's a copy of it it's not the same thing there's there's something and it, it doesn't work in color mm-hmm. you know it just yeah so I mean it's almost 
you know, blasphemy to mention the remake, but it it's it is an interest. It's it is almost like an experimental film. That's I mean, I think even Van Sant thinks of it as an experimental film, and it's not even so much is it good or is it bad. It's just like an interesting art piece almost. But yeah, definitely, definitely do not watch the remake first. Uh, at least watch the original first if you've never seen it. And I don't know, for as much as, like, Vince Vaughn, like, does as good of a job as he could have in that movie, I think that just really shows to me just how unbelievable Anthony Perkins is in that role. Just because, oh, I don't yeah. know, it's not usual that in a Hitchcock movie, the actor carries the movie. Because for the most part, they're just sort of window dressing. They're like a necessary evil where you just got to fill the shots and have actual human beings in it. I bet you if Hitch could have made, like, a movie with robots, he would have done it. But I don't know. I think he lets Anthony Perkins get away with stuff that he might not have let another person get away with. And I don't know. I just really think he, like, carries a movie more than almost, like, any actor in any movie ever does, except for maybe, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood or something like that. Well, I remember there's a great quote that Hitchcock had where uh, he said that Walt Disney had the best casting ever if he didn't like <laughs> an actor. If he didn't like an actor, he could just tear him up and throw him in the wastebasket. And the, the other uh, story I love about Psycho is, uh, you know, what is that French film called? Les Diaboliques? What's yeah, it called? Les Diaboliques. Yeah. yeah. And um, he said that when Psycho came out, a father wrote to him saying that when his daughter saw that French film, uh, which has a famous uh, scene in a bathtub, she went to take a bath for months afterwards. And after she saw Psycho, she won't take a shower now. And he asked Hitchcock, what should I do? And he wrote a note back just saying, send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I and mean, well, the, uh, the power of that like shower scene really cannot be overstated. Like it's one that just, I mean, how many cuts are in it? It's something like 82, right? It's in its space of like 70 seconds. Well, they have a whole documentary that I saw about the film, and I went to a screening where Janet Lee's body double was there uh, afterwards for a Q&A, and she talked about uh, the you know filming that scene because I think now I might be wrong, but I remember reading you know this was a film that he used his television crew. You know, he'd mm -hmm. been doing things like these you know big gorgeous Technicolor films like Vertigo and North by Northwest. And then he made this low-budget black-and-white film, and I think he did it in about three weeks. And one whole week was shooting the 45 seconds of the shower scene because there's so many different cuts. There's so many different camera setups. But I know it definitely had a, sh a short shooting schedule, and a big part of it was just doing the shower scene. But, yeah, I, I've always said if I could go back in time to any point in history for one minute and just be a fly on the wall – it would be the uh, premiere of Psycho because I know that Peter Bogdanovich was there and he said that you couldn't hear the music, the strings in the shower scene because people just started screaming. They were so shocked that you couldn't hear the music. Just, just the audience just went crazy and started screaming. So if I could like three seconds before the shower curtain gets pulled open – for the next minute, if I could have been a fly on the wall that, you know, I don't care about seeing, you know, Lincoln or seeing Jesus or seeing, you know, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. No, no, I want to see the opening of Psycho, the premiere of Psycho during the shower scene. That would be my one moment in history I'd go back to. And then it's got this like the slow zoom on Janet Lee's dead eyeball. I bet that just would have less people like absolutely devastated. <laughs> Well, and you know that the final shot in the film 
transitioning from the previous shot, we, you know, the next to last shot to the last one, they superimpose the mother's, uh, you know, decomposed uh, skull face over Anthony Perkins' face. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, go back, go back and watch it, and you in in the transition, they superimpose the mother's face on top of his. Oh yeah. So that's one of and the, like it, the all-time closing scenes. <laughs> Look at her; she wouldn't even hurt a fly. <laughs> well, but I mean, I do think that the um, detective analysis one. Yeah, that 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 kind of is a little bit clunky, but it mm-hmm. it's like today I think they would have maybe cut it a lot shorter, or they wouldn't have even had him talk. Mm-hmm. But back then they had to be like, okay, this is what's going on, people. <laughs> you know, they had to set it up a little bit and explain it. But um, yeah, the other thing that's different from the novel is that he cuts her head off in the shower too, uh, which I mean. That would have been gnarly. <laughs> you know, Maybe Anthony a little Perkins. too much for the time. <laughs> I know. Um, this is extremely random trivia, but did you know that Anthony Perkins' uh, widow was died on the plane on 9-11? She was one of the people on the plane. I did not know that. He was married to Marissa Berenson's sister, right? She wa- He was? Yeah, I think so, from Barry Lyndon, which is another piece of useless trivia. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also like the idea that um, – Hitchcock, you know, he it was like he he was getting away with the film. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that he sent it to the censors and they said, you know, there's nudity in it, in which there isn't. There's no you don't see any breast and there's no shot of the knife actually going into her body. And what he did was he took the footage and cut a single frame and he just sent it back to the censors and then they accepted it. They didn't change a the thing. They didn't realize it. But and you know it's chocolate syrup going down the drain. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot of people know this useless trivia, but um, I and you know originally they were going to have the shower scene with no music. It was just going to be silent. But uh, I mean, for the, the people at the premiere, it seems like that would have worked because they weren't listening to the music anyway. But I don't know. Yeah. That's so tough because just the score is so good that I don't know. That would have been a mistake for me. Yeah, I think that the. Um, yeah, it's just it's in it, in like you know with these films, even if you've seen them, it still holds up beautifully. You just get you you know where it's gonna go, but you just get wrapped up in it. And it's uh, in Vera Miles, she's in it. She was in uh, you know two of the most uh, famous American films uh, of the era. She was also in The Searchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's still alive. I think she's eighty nine. She's still with us. But um, anyway, there's um, and the 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 other male lead. In the film uh he's he died just uh, about a year ago so you know yeah you should definitely keep up with these films even though it's over 50 years old it still holds up and it, i always say that if you you know i don't trust anyone's opinion about horror films if they haven't seen psycho it's like you, you know if you think that oh this you know if the nun is the scariest thing in the best horror movie you've seen it's like yeah well, if you haven't seen psycho your opinion isn't that valid it's like that's such a you know, it's such a landmark film that you kind of have to be able to to be able to talk about the genre or film in general. It's just one of those films you really, really have to see. So were there others that almost made your list? Well, why don't you go down what your actual uh, top list was? Because we did have some overlap. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. But yeah, Psycho is one of those ones I almost can't believe it when people haven't seen it because it's not like it's something like totally weird like 2001 or anything like that, and it's not that long either. And I feel like it's really widely available. So if someone hasn't seen Psycho, I'm just like, what are you even doing? (laughs) 
So for my top ten, I'm just gonna go from ten to one. I had Shadow of a Doubt at number ten, which is an early 1940s one. It's got a great performance by Joseph Cotton. He's one of my favorite actors just because he is from Richmond, which is my hometown. And it's uh, was Hitchcock's favorite of his own films, supposedly. Oh, was it really? Wow. Yeah. And then nine, I had Rope, which we discussed a little bit earlier, which I have a special place in my heart for Rope. And which then, is the which is the one that looks like it's one unbroken shot, even though, of course, with the technology back then, it was, um, you know, roughly you know eight or ten minute long shots with where they would like camera would go up to someone's back and there would be a cut mm-hmm. where it would go into the black. But I think wouldn't you think that if he had the technology, he would have done it in one whole take if he could have. I think oh, he would have. Yeah, no doubt about it. He just would have had the actors rehearse the crap out of it, and they would have nailed everything. Well, and also, you know that there was a part where a camera rolled over someone's foot and broke their foot, and they put their mouth over his hand and dragged him off set so that he wouldn't run the take. <laughs> That's amazing. That just shows yeah. you Hitch's disdain for actors. He's just like, I don't give a shit about your foot. <laughs> yeah. And then at, uh, I also think it's one of the great premises of a Hitchcock movie with the, like two like genius-level college students who are just – they're smarter than everybody else and just want to like commit a murder to prove how smart they are. I think that's a great setup. Right. Based on a true story. Yeah. Was it Le- Leopold, Leopold and Lold? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's short too. It's only about 70 something, 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's only like eight, 10 minute shots. So yeah, it's, and it's very watchable. I think it's still really good. A lot of people crap on it though, which I don't really understand. <laughs> and then for seven, I had vertigo which is definitely too low on this list. But it's just one of the well, things, you, like, I watched it recently, and I was just like, I don't know. I'm not having that much fun watching this movie, which I probably shouldn't consider as much as watchability. Because obviously, from, like, a standpoint of film as art, it ranks up there as, like, one of the most artfully films ever made. But it just doesn't have the same sort of fun watch that I like when it comes to, like, Man Who Knew Too Much or To Catch a Thief. Well, you you skipped you, your number eight was one of my uh, oh, yeah, notorious. Yeah, yeah. Eight was notorious. Sorry, I forgot about that. Seven vertigo. Notorious also might be too low. That's just one of the things about a Hitchcock list is they're all so good. And then uh, for six, I actually had North by Northwest. I had to move that up because we had a little bit of lo- overlap. And then uh, five, Lady Vanishes. Four, Man Who Knew Too Much. Three was Psycho. Which now thinking about it, I probably should have had that as number two. <laughs> And two to catch a thief, and then one rear window. And um, I didn't do a full top ten. I've seen a, a little over thirty of his films. I there's a number of his silent films I've never seen. One reason is because they're not easily available in good quality prints. They're not on Blu-ray. I think there's only two of his silent films that are available in the U.S. on Blu-ray. It's a Criterion collection of The Lodger. Mm -hmm. And on that disc, there is, as a special feature, another of his silent films. So um, I would like Criterion or some company to release a bunch of his silent films really restored. But uh, I have seen over 30 of his films, and I did a top seven. My was seven, The Birds, six, North by Northwest, Five, Strangers on a Train. Four, Vertigo. Three, Notorious. Two was Rear Window. One was Psycho. So those are, you know, I could change some and switch the places. I mean, I also really like Shadow of a Doubt. And uh, there's some I've never seen that I need to. I know you said you're quite fond of Marnie. And I've never seen that one. I've never seen um, I Confess or... I Confess um, is not very good. That what might the, be my least favorite Hitchcock movie, to be honest. 
Well, the one that uh, I probably my least favorite is Topaz, which is one he did in the 60s that just I remember watching it with my grandmother and it just felt like it was eight hours long. It's mm-hmm. just not very it's it's not very compelling, but uh, it does have one of his best uh, cameos, though. He's in the airport, I think, and uh, he comes up in a wheelchair to someone and he just gets up out of the wheelchair. But, um, I, I, you know, some of his you know, some of his earlier cameos, they're like midway through the film. But once he got famous on the TV show, he put them earlier and earlier in the film, like in North by Northwest. It's on the title card of directed by Alfred Hitchcock and he misses the bus at the last second and, and psycho is standing outside the um, office. So, but I do think that um, it's always fun to try to point out where he is in the film, but what, what are some ones that you've never seen that you've always wanted to, or ones that are kind of the biggest omissions? Ah, I don't know. I'm trying to think about them. I've seen most of the ones from later on. I hadn't seen, uh, what's the one with uh, Gregory Peck? Um, Spellbound? Spellbound, yeah. I watched that for the first time this week, and I really did not like that one. That one just bored the hell out of me. Well, I think that um, one of the one film I need to rewatch of his is Rebecca. I'll tell you the story real quick about watching that at, in class. I had to took I took a whole class on Hitchcock at USC in Columbia, and there was the student. Uh, helper. I, he wasn't in our class. He was just someone that got paid to come to class and show the film in the evening. We had evening screenings, and the guy was really drunk. And we watched Rebecca, and he was playing some game on his phone, and we're watching this, you know, really beautiful, you know, you know, it, it, it's just like old-fashioned Hollywood film, mm-hmm. and and this guy is. Uh, uh, he's just making these weird noises throughout the whole film. It's over two hours long, and it was just so awkward. And I had to like write an email to the professor just saying, "Hey, just so you know, the guy who was showing us the film was like drunk off his ass and was like making noises throughout the film, and he started falling asleep and snoring during a part of it." So I would have to say Rebecca is one I need to reevaluate because I didn't have a great viewing experience. There was an obnoxious college student. Uh, in the room and that's the only time you've seen it yeah it's the only time i've seen it oh man so you've got to rewatch that one it's actually really good and it's like one of those great hollywood gothic movies that was coming out at the same time like gaslight is pretty similar right and i've never seen either of those versions of that film yeah oh, but <laughs> gaslight is like the most hitchcock movie that hitchcock didn't actually make it's awesome well, I know that, um, you know, Rebecca's the only film of his that won Best Picture. And, you know, it's kind of shocking. Hitchcock never won a competitive Oscar for Best Director. He was nominated, I think, five or six times. I know for Psycho and Rebecca and Lifeboat. But Vertigo wasn't nominated for Best Picture or Best Director. North by Northwest wasn't. Um, I think he was nominated for Rear Window. but yeah, he was um, nominated for Rear Window. Yeah, but he um, lost to Marty. Yeah, I mean, you look back at some of the Oscar picks, and you're just like, oh, there's one more I wanted to mention. Have you ever seen Frenzy? Oh, I love Frenzy. Yeah, Frenzy might really... be like the most shocking of any Hitchcock movie. It like really is like totally out there. I um, I really shouldn't say it's my favorite film of his after the birds because i think i've that's the only one i have seen of his after the birds besides toes topaz but frenzy is his um 
Well, it's the only film of his that was rated R when it came out. I mean, Psycho wasn't, you know, they didn't have the R rating back then in 1960, but uh, Frenzy was rated X, I think, even uh, in or in the UK, it had an 18 rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's also funny, too. It's dark, but it's, um, you know, the, the woman. But it is truly like, shocking, even watching it today. Yeah, and it does have a great trailer of Hitchcock floating down the Thames. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, he he's always great at advertising the uh, you know his trailer for Psycho is him walking through the house just saying you know here's where the horrible murder takes place you know and and the 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 trailer for the birds is great too he's like what you know once he got on television he was you know often in his the trailers for his films and you know he's one of those uh, I don't know how back then but I think he was one of the I would say without question, he was the number one director that wasn't an actor who most people would be able to name as a film director. You know, nowadays, I don't think anyone knows directors except a handful like Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay, maybe Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan. But back then, he was one of the few named directors that people could point to, even if they weren't uh, real knowledgeable about film. I think the only one who could have been close to him is Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder was like a sensation at that time. And he was oh, just... cleaned up at the Oscars. And like looking back on him, his movie, I really like Billy Wilder. But like looking back on him, they're just not the sort of same movies as like the Hitchcock ones. But he was way more famous and way more successful. Well, I wouldn't say way more famous. But he got a lot more Oscar love at the time than Alfred Hitchcock did, which is weird looking back on it. Well, I think the other one was people knew the name Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah. I think that. But, he was a little uh, yeah. bit earlier though. Well, I guess he had some big movies in the 50s. Well, yeah, like Ten Commandments and uh-huh. but uh, Greatest Show on Earth. But I also think that, um, you know, I don't think people, unless they were really knowledgeable about film, I don't think people were thinking of Howard Hawks and, mm-hmm. you know, Anthony Mann. You know, the, you know, the average film goer doesn't know those directors. But anyway, we're, but, you know, the, this episode was about Hitchcock and uh, we talked about our uh, our top 10 list and we added a few more but uh we'll uh we'll we'll do other top list of uh directors we like or even maybe ones we don't like Mm -hmm. you know like we'll talk about directors we hate and we'll watch their films and see if we reevaluate them but maybe even into some really niche topics like top five westerns of the 1950s or something like that I know. Well, I mean, next week I'll come back and uh, we'll talk about some of the films I saw at the New York Film Festival. I'm really excited about. I'm just flying up there, seeing eight films in three days and flying back. But I'm going to cram in as many films as I can. And one of the things I'm seeing is the uh, long-awaited Orson Welles film, The Other Side of the Wind, which is, you know, he shot all the footage, but he never was able to complete it now it's finally been constructed and i'm going to a screening that peter bogdanovich will be at and he acted in the film and the talk will be moderated by martin scorsese so i'm really excited well, about incredible uh, yeah but i won't give away any more about what i'm going to go see <laughs> but but uh, next episode at least part of it uh, i can talk about what i saw and what i liked and uh, the people i got to see so uh, maybe well i'll just say this maybe steve bannon will show up that's <laughs> i actually kind of excited for that the errol morris documentary about him um yeah because he, he showed up at venice he wasn't invited he just showed up and um if, i don't know if he's in the if he's in new york then he might just show up at the screening and uh, I mean, I don't particularly want to see him, but I don't know. If he showed up, I'd want to hear him, I guess. Oh, yeah. The audience will boo him anyway. But you'll get more info about what I saw at the festival next episode. 
Yeah, so next week will probably be our first contemporary-leaning episode of the podcast so far. But yeah. uh, thanks for joining us for this one. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And uh, sorry for the late release. I was a little bit uh, under the weather this weekend. so uh, He was wiped out by a wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you weren't getting married, though. You, you I was not. I was just the best man. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.